This is The Guardian. Today, teachers are going on strike. Can they convince the public and the government that it's worth it? Did you always think you wanted to be a teacher? Always. Absolutely always. Ever since I was four, I would teach my toys the alphabet and <laughs> things like this. And I had a little blackboard and all this kind of thing. And, and I was obsessed, absolutely obsessed with teaching. Always, always wanted to be a teacher. And my career path, like including university and everything, was always going towards being a teacher. Yeah. What do you love about it so much then? It's, I'll tell you completely honestly, it's those faces on the children either when they first get something and they understand it for the first time and they've been really, really trying or when children realise that they're not stupid because society and unfortunately sometimes families are telling them that they need to go to a different school because they're too stupid. They give them that reason. And so to see the look on their face when you praise them and go, do you know what, that's really good. That's brilliant. That's a brilliant answer to see their fates light up, to realise, actually, do you know what? I can achieve something. That's what I love about it. If you talk to teachers about why they do their job, you'll likely hear something similar to what Georgia Townsend has told me. Georgia lives in Essex and she works with secondary school students who have special educational needs. It's a demanding role, but you can tell how much she gets from it too. But there's a problem. Over the past few years, she, like many other teachers I've spoken to, have felt that the morale in their profession is dwindling. Schools are struggling to recruit staff or keep those that they've got. Their budgets are being cut and students who've already struggled to deal with remote learning during lockdown are falling further behind. Teachers have had enough. And over the next two months, across the UK, they're going on strike. The National Education Union, the NEU, which is the biggest of the teaching unions, is demanding the government give teachers a pay rise. A pay rise that's above inflation and that, crucially, comes from the government's budget, not from the schools. Will they be successful? From The Guardian, I'm Hannah Moore. Today in focus, tired, overworked and undervalued. Why teachers are going on strike. I'm Georgia Townsend. I'm from Colchester and I have a little boy who is, in my opinion, lovely. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm on the National Executive of the National Education Union as well. Tell me then about your role and your responsibilities. You said you work mainly with children who have special educational needs. Yeah, I started in mainstream education where I was an English teacher. I then decided I wanted to work in special needs, moved to a special needs school specifically, where I tend to work on a one-to-one -one basis with those special needs children or children in care or children that in some way they might have PTSD, they might have learning difficulties, but with a number of different kind of issues going on. And I teach them to pick up knowledge that they didn't necessarily have before. 
Wow. So it's it's a really highly skilled job, isn't it? Because you're working with children who have all sorts of different needs. And how big are the class sizes and how many teachers do, do you have in each class? So obviously mine is more one-to-one. But at the moment in mainstream secondary, class sizes, well, they range from, I've had classes of about 34, 35. And in that group of 34, you're going to have a whole range of children with different needs, aren't you? Would you expect normally to have a teaching assistant with you as well? <laughs> um, you would expect to have a teaching assistant, yes. Um, that's not always the case, unfortunately. Um, due to funding cuts of the school, a lot of support assistants are being used for just what is called the most needy students, leaving those students that have maybe ADHD but are able to generally cope on a day-to-day basis to kind of fend for themselves. So unfortunately, I've had a class, uh, over 15 of them had some form of need and that was a class of 32 and I was on my own for a lot of that. What kinds of impacts have you seen that had then on the children that you've worked with, you know, if, if they're not able to get the kind of specialist care that they need, or if your attention is taken away in giving that specialist care and and not being able to focus on all the other children in the class as well? I've seen a lot of meltdowns. Um, I've seen a lot of mental health episodes. A couple of my children, one in particular comes to mind where he was actually excluded due to the fact that I couldn't give him attention in the class. He did something silly and um, then was excluded for that. And I know, because I know him, and I know that he would not have done that had he been getting the attention that he deserved from me. But unfortunately, again, I was in a class of 34 on my own and I had other children that I had to go and help and I had to go and deal with. Georgia, you're a member of the NEU. Yes. The main teaching union, and you voted to strike. Why? So the reason we're striking is for a fully funded pay rise. Now, for me, the main aspect of that is the fact that it is fully funded. And the reason for that is because at the moment, the pay rise that we will be getting will be partially funded by the school. Now, what that means is that the money will be taken from the children. What that might mean, one less LSA. That might mean that they don't get the one-to-one therapy that they need. It means that a lot of the resources that should be used for the students are actually going to be used to pay our salary. And I just don't think that's right. I don't think it's right to be taking that money away from them to pay us. My other main reason is because I'm struggling at the moment. I'll be honest, with the cost of living crisis, me and my family, as I said, I have one child who is two and we don't put the heating on at the moment, as I'm sure many, many, many families are in the same position. We try and cover ourselves in blankets at the moment. We put it on for maybe an hour or two in the evening when my son gets home so that he can kind of warm up after being outside after coming home. Now, obviously, that makes us absolutely freezing. But it also means that when we do turn that heating on, I myself have not eaten for a week because I know that I've had the heating on more. So for example, this last week, although I've now got my parents are actually very lovingly, they've paid for one of those chef boxes to come every week for us because they realised that I'd stopped eating because we were putting the heating on so that my son was warm. Another aspect of this is that I can't fill my car up with petrol at the moment. My dad actually came over yesterday and had to help me 
go and fill up my car with petrol because it had got so low that I couldn't actually get off the drive anymore and I wouldn't have been able to get to work. I'm putting in maybe a £5 at a time because I don't have that amount of money to actually fill up my car to be able to get to work and back. And I'm not the worst off. And we're a dual income household. We're on what would be considered a decent wage and yet we're still not able to afford to do anything really. The NEU's main demand, as you say, is that teachers be paid more. The starting salary for a qualified teacher outside London is £28,000, which is, you know, on a par with the average wage in the UK. Why do you think teachers deserve to be paid more? I think everyone deserves to be paid more. (laughs) We're standing with all of the other strikes that are happening for that very reason, because actually I think everybody deserves to be paid a lot more specifically teachers, because we've essentially had a pay cut for the last at least 10 years. My dad is a teacher, my mum is also a teacher, and my dad has lost in the last 12 years £64,000 because of the difference of our pay rise and the inflation rate. Now that is an incredible amount for him to have lost. Georgia, if the NEU isn't successful in convincing the government to increase pay... How do you feel about your job in the future? Do you see yourself staying in teaching? I'll be honest that it does it does upset me. Sorry. <laughs> I think I wouldn't be able to be a teacher. And my entire life has been leading up to being a teacher and I love it. I love every second, apart from the admin, <laughs> I love every second of being in that classroom with those children. I love helping them. But If I can't afford to live, if I can't afford to feed my son, I can't do it. And that's the reality of it. This really is the kind of the tipping point for me as to whether I stay in education or not. How long do you think you could leave it before you have to make that decision? I think if the strikes weren't to work, then I think I would have to make the decision for this coming September, to be honest. I think that a lot of people are in that position where I've heard a lot of people saying that, you know, if this doesn't work, they're going to have to just leave. Jessica Elgott, you're The Guardian's deputy political editor, and we're here in Westminster, right on the other side of the public gallery. So maybe we'll hear some cheering and jeering throughout this interview. You've been reporting on the strikes that are happening across the public sector at the moment, and we're just in an extraordinary period. And teachers like Georgia, who we've just heard from, are joining them now. What is the situation? Why is this happening now? I think you're absolutely right to say it's an extraordinary culmination of so many sectors going on strike. And that's due to a combination of things. One of the key things fueling that is inflation, inflation being at at its highest level since the 70s. Pay packets are feeling incredibly squeezed. And even if they have been getting pay rises of, say, between 2% to 5% roughly, then it suddenly feels like they're losing quite a lot of money. Everything's, you know, so much more expensive, whether that be energy bills or price they're paying for food in the supermarkets, you know, your pay packet just isn't reaching far enough. We've also seen, you know, pretty suppressed wages in parts of the public sector for many years, either due to austerity or, you know, in some cases, pay being frozen, including in the pandemic, apart from for certain parts of the NHS. 
obviously the main reason that teachers are striking is overpay, but it's a profession feeling undervalued. I think it's teachers that work the most number of unpaid hours of practically any profession and people leaving the sector in their droves that problems with retention rates, particularly in certain subjects. You know, if you're a maths graduate, if you're a computer science graduate, you know, just going to be able to earn twice, three times, maybe four times as much, even as a starting salary when you leave university. Um, All of that's the kind of thing that, in addition to the pay pressure, that no government seems to be able to really get to grips with. We should clarify that there are several teaching unions, and it's the main one, the NEU, the National Education Union, whose members have voted to go on strike. Nine out of ten of those who voted, voted in favour of the strike. What exactly is the NEU demanding? So the NEU is essentially saying that teachers have lost about 23% in real terms since 2010 in terms of their wages not keeping pace with inflation. And that this year in particular pays about 7% behind inflation. So they've got a 5% pay rise in there, which equates to a real terms, you know, 7% cut. So their main, obviously the main dispute is pay. So we've seen the government get quite close to a deal, a potential deal on the NHS and and particularly with nurses, where they've accepted the government needs to talk about a pay deal for this year, 2022 to 23, not just what might, you know, be in the 23-24 settlement. And that could include a backdated pay rise or it could include a one-off kind of cost of living pay rise or payment. But there's very much a kind of feeling and a worry across government that they will have to do something similar for lots of other parts of the public sector that are covered by the independent pay review body that sets, you know, what rises should be. And the Treasury's made it really clear that if, you know, government departments agree something like this with unions, they have to fund it from their budget. So there's no new money coming out of the exchequer to pay for any rises. They'll have to find it from budgets within the department already, which are clearly very squeezed. And similar difficulties with the teachers' strikes, right, that the government is saying any pay rises have to come out of the school's budgets, which the NEU is saying we don't want it to be done that way. What kind of turnout is expected for these strikes? And and would you be able to also just break down for me, you know, which days they're happening across the UK? So in in England, it's seven days in February and March. Those schools will only close for four days of those sort of rolling periods. And that doesn't necessarily mean that the school will close on those days because not all teachers will be the members of the union, but you would expect a reasonably high number to close and a reasonably high turnout of people going on strike. You know, there are different cases across the UK and actually most parents will find they have to have it communicated by their individual school. It's very difficult to know on a national picture exactly what's going to be happening in your local school. Dave Wilson, you're the deputy head of a primary school in Gorton in Manchester and you, alongside other staff at your school, are going to be joining the strikes. Being a deputy head means that you're involved in both the way that education's delivered at your school and in the management of it, of course, you know, dealing with things like governor's meetings, building repairs, hiring staff... State schools have had to deal with significant cuts to their budgets over the past few years. What have those cuts been like at your school? The cuts have impacted hugely and I I would sort of describe it as the perfect storm. Manchester, as is similar to a lot of other huge urban areas, has seen 
a significant increase in the number of pupils per se. There have been 55, 60,000 more children moved into the area in the last eight to 10 years. And with that, we've also seen a significant increase in the number of children with complex needs, cognitive needs, social emotional needs, physical needs. And at the same time, we've seen a reduction in local authority support that we're able to access. So previously, there would have been educational psychologists, speech and language therapists, math specialists, English specialists, and they've just been shrunk to an absolute bare minimum. And what we've had to be really, really careful with is how we allocate our funding and our budget to meet those needs. We took the decision this year that the biggest chunk of our SEM budget, and also the SENCO, is being spent on our speech and language therapy service. But that then comes at a cost of something else. So, for example, we had a musician that came in and did after-school music. That's had to go. And so, obviously, that there's the impact there on the children that love doing the music. But we had to look at the balance between what's the greatest need and, you know, our speech and language therapist, speech language communication needs is by far and away our biggest special educational need. And that's replicated right across the United Kingdom. SLCN in schools has just absolutely exploded. And so we've had to invest a lot of time and money in that regard. The other area that we've had to cut back on are teaching assistants. So previously we would employ teaching assistant to work with some of our neediest children, particularly those with an education healthcare plan. We now simply can't afford that. And so we have to try and spread that particular need across one or two specific teaching assistants. And obviously that comes with a cost in terms of the stress for those particular teaching assistants, the difficulty we have in meeting those child's needs. Often parents think, oh, he's got an educational healthcare plan, he's going to get one-to-one support. Well, that just isn't the case. A lot of teachers that I've been speaking to have talked about feeling low morale and one thing that they cite as a reason for that is the amount of time they have to spend preparing for Ofsted inspections and the amount of time that they spend on admin. These things that they've reflected to me are taking them away from the actual teaching. Does that ring true with you? Absolutely. It's the sword of Damocles that if I could remove anything or change anything in the educational world, Ofsted will be the first thing. And that's the same feeling from the head teacher, from the other teachers that I talk to, not just in our school, but all the other schools around us. I recognise we need to have accountability. I understand that. There are billions of pounds that are spent in the educational system, but there has to be a better way. There's a reason why retention is so low. There is a reason why recruitment's so low. Yes, pay's not what it should be, but you talk to teachers and it's like, we've got Ofsted coming. I've got to prove every single thing that I'm doing. And since the inspection framework changed and Amanda Spielman decided she wanted to have a greater focus on the whole curriculum, suddenly the inspection framework has ramped up massively the amount of work that teachers need to do outside of the classroom We try and help them in that regard as senior leaders. So we build in weekly time for all of them. They have a specific slot each week where teachers have time out to study their particular subject. But obviously that comes at a cost that they're not in class. And we've been talking about it now for years. We've been saying, look, this is why people are stressed. This is why you've got such churn in the system. You know, I think the average working week for a primary school teacher is something like 55, 56 hours. That's not sustainable in any job. 
that's why so many leave so early. I think it's something like a third leave after five years. And no other workforce would you look at that and think, oh, that looks like a really good job, that. You know, a third of the people leave after five years. Yeah, that, that's the one for me. And nobody seems to be asking that question. So I really hope that, you know, this strike really puts the spotlight on some of the work-life practices that we're involved with. Yeah, well, I mean, let's talk about retention rates. We know that lots of head teachers and deputy heads have been quitting. I was looking at TES magazine, which is the main publication for the education sector, and they examined the data around it this month, and they found that the number of deputy head teacher vacancies is now 53% higher than it was just before the pandemic. And for heads, that's 23% higher than it was before the pandemic. How are you feeling at the moment in your job? Ready for retirement. And I say that in a sort of, and it sounds frivolous, and but it's not. I've never been more determined to retire than I actually am now because of the demands that are placed on me and demands that that then places on my family and it's not sustainable. I've been a deputy head for mm, 15 years now. And I'd say for about the first eight, nine, ten years, I thought I could see myself in headship. I was looking forward to, you know, uh, getting my own skill. But there's absolutely no way now that I would put my head above the parapet and be the ultimate person uh, responsible for the school. And I know it's the same right across Manchester. And again, I come back to this point about remuneration. It's not about the money. Even if you offered me, you know, a million pounds or two million pounds, I wouldn't take on headship because I just don't feel as though it's sustainable, not for me and not for many of my other colleagues. And that's why there's this huge, huge problem in their leadership recruitment. God, that's really sad to hear you reflect that. It is because, you know, you look at teachers in schools such as mine and what they do over and above. And I don't mean to denigrate teachers in other areas. The demands are completely different. You know, I think about the the suburban areas with the parental pressures. There's no easy school in this walk of life but I see what we have to do in terms of the social care the physical care it's kind of like the job description's gone it's not a teacher anymore we're we're social workers we're nurses we're police we're carers we do so much more than than teach you know the teacher subricate it's a false one we're way more than that and it hurts me to see that people aren't coming into the profession because then I, I look at the children I think you deserve the absolute best and you're not getting it. Coming up, the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak is proposing a new law that'll make it harder to go on strike. How likely is it to pass? Jessica, I've been speaking to Dave, who's a deputy head teacher in Manchester. And one thing he mentioned in particular is that some of the help they used to get from council and NHS services has been cut. What Dave said, I think, demonstrates how when the government cuts budgets in one sector, it impacts on the others. How long has this deterioration in funding the public sector been going on? I think that what you have we have seen, and I think the pandemic was another thing that really brought this to the fore, 
is that because there has been so much cut from particularly local government, but you also see that in, you know, in the NHS and the education sector have had some shielding from that, but haven't been shielded from all of it by any means, but particularly local government, and that extends to kind of mental health services, social care services, they've been cut to the point where their margins are uh, non-existent. And when you come under sudden stresses or unexpected events, and that the pandemic was really key to that, there's no in the system and it means as well when an economic crisis hits there's nothing further to cut really Labour will talk a lot about whether this government wants to return to austerity but I think even within government now I think there is a realisation there is very little space to make cuts in any parts of the public sector at the moment one of the places where you can make savings in government is public sector pay that is one of the biggest places where you can make significant savings for the treasury but then you have the effects like this of strikes and of people leaving professions mm-hmm. at the start of this week the education secretary Gillian Keegan said that while she acknowledged the challenges that teachers are under she wasn't in a position where she was really looking at negotiating pay rises for them. We didn't negotiate pay, but what we did do was talk about some of the challenges, uh, workload challenges as well, we talked about. And we've, we've gone through for next year, and we will, by now they will have gone through. What is the government doing in response to the way teachers are feeling at the moment? I mean, I think this is a very familiar picture, which again, we, we saw with you know, the nurses strikes as well, that the government will initially say that it's not prepared to talk about pay, that that's for the independent pay body to set. And they're only prepared to talk about things that don't concern pay, which is all very interesting. But the main thing that that the professions that are striking are interested in is pay. So that gets you in a kind of stalemate situation. And I think there has been a feeling from government that they can maybe ride out these strikes that they can get through this winter in the case of teachers coming sort of slightly late to the strike action. Maybe people will, be, will get disillusioned with it more quickly and then they can move on to the pay negotiations for this year, which are already starting, which some unions aren't even taking part in. But then, you know, they can do the settlement for this year and try and just say now, you know, we've talked about pay, we've talked about it for next year. Although I think there'll be, you know, again, they'd be facing similar problems if that didn't keep pace with inflation. And also the government is very concerned about keeping inflation down and if you constantly raise wages that fuels inflation so I think there is some caution about that and that's something that Jeremy Hunt is you know particularly keen to stress all of the time but that doesn't help you if you're someone who's struggling to pay your bills or pay a mortgage. What's the public support like for these teacher strikes? I think there's a widespread acceptance from a lot of parents that they can see how much strain teachers are under and they've also you know you've seen in in previous years how parents have had to pay for lots of school facilities they haven't previously had to pay for so the schools always are you know asking for donations for coloring pencils or or for paper or you know in lots of cases of shared textbooks they're seeing the consequences of understaffing they're seeing their children's taught by supply teachers and so I think you know where people can see that very tangible effect on people's education and that is more likely to mean that there is support for strike action I think we are probably likely to see a lot of support dwindle after the first strikes take place and that is already happening in places like the NHS and has certainly happened with the railways where you saw quite an initial bounce of public support which has now significantly dwindled. The union leaders to continue to be unreasonable 
then it is my duty to take action to protect the lives and livelihoods of the British public. And that's why, Mr Speaker, since I became Prime Minister, I have been working for new tough laws to protect people from this disruption. Rishi Sunak has proposed a law which would limit strike action. Can you tell me more about that? Yes, so this is the the, the strikes bill, the minimum service levels. Essentially what it would put in is that certain parts of the public sector, which includes teachers, the NHS, things like border force, nuclear and transport, will have to provide a minimum service on strike days. And the problem with some of that is, is that it essentially means that some parts of the profession are unable to go on strike at all. So if you have to provide a minimum service in the trains, then yes, some drivers will be able to go on strike and some won't. But all signalers will have to work because even if you're running one train a day, you have to have people manning the signal. So it makes things very difficult for certain parts of the profession to go on strike at all. You know, the government's attitude has been, we hope we'll never have to enforce these standards, but they've admitted that what it could lead to is, you know, suing unions if they don't provide those levels for a lot of money or potentially even sacking workers who are supposed to be at work and go on strike, which, you know, Labour have dubbed the the sacking nurses bill. And I think that makes a lot of members of the public uh, flinch about it. Mr Speaker, they've gone from clapping the nurses to sacking the nurses. It's that simple. To add insult to injury, they're the cause of the crisis. His government commissioned a report on waiting times. He knows this. His own report says this is not a COVID problem. It's 10 years of managed decline. I mean, how likely is it that that bill is going to pass? I think it's very likely the bill will at least pass the Commons. I think it could have more difficulty in the Lords because... It's not a manifesto commitment from the government. There was a commitment in the manifesto to have a minimum service level on transport, to curtail transport strikes in that way, but it didn't extend to all this, all these different parts of the public sector. So the Lords has a, some case to, to try and stop some of that because it's not a manifesto commitment. On the other hand, you know, that's just not the job of the Lords to completely stop legislation like this coming through. And then you'll find a long fight in the courts Labour has promised to repeal it, but, you know, it looks like the train is in motion. Most Conservative MPs are supportive of it. We've had months of strikes now without much of a sense of resolution. The pressure on this government is immense. What do you think is going to happen if the government doesn't give an adequate response to people who are striking across all of these sectors? So I think that it is really seeping through to the general public and I think amongst some Conservative MPs how much the strikes are kind of crippling the public sector and how they seem to still be blaming that on the government at the moment broadly rather than on trade unions. And it adds to a sense for a lot of people that the Conservative-run Britain is a place that just doesn't work, where you can't get on a train, where you can't get a GP appointment. If you try and ring your local council, you're stuck on the phone, you know, even to report some fly tipping for, you know, an hour and a half. We did a focus group this week where we were talking to some uh, voters in Stoke, and that's the place that broadly voted Conservative for the first time in 2019. The language that some of them are using about the government, they say that, you know, 
the NHS has been crippled. It's an absolute mess. It's on its backside. It's struggling. And they express a huge amount of sympathy for striking workers, particularly health workers, it should be said. But they say, you know, they don't get breaks. They're doing extra shifts. They're not appreciated. And they say that Sunak should pay them more. And I think one of the most striking quotes from that, which sort of encompasses everything we've been talking about, is is one of the voters which is echoing that phrase that Keir Starmer used, which is sticking plaster politics. So something where the government can only take just very short term action to solve a short term problem and can't undertake any sort of big reforms. This is a voter called Andy, 37. He says that he thinks that he does very little to tackle the root of any of these issues. You know, Sunak just passes the buck with this strike issue. He says, OK, I've got people striking. I'll stop past the law to stop everyone striking and then I'll disappear again. And that, for him, he says, it shows that he's not strong. He's, he's a sort of weak prime minister that has to do something like this. And in the long run, I, I just don't see how that ends up being good news at all for the Conservatives. Jessica, thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks to Georgia Townsend, David Wilson and Jessica Elgott. You can keep up with her reporting from Westminster at theguardian.com. And while you're there, you can find out the latest on the strikes and the mood in schools from our education team. This episode was produced by Eva Krisiak and sound designed by Solomon King. The executive producer was Elizabeth Casson. I hope you have a lovely weekend. We'll be back on Monday. This is The Guardian.